All right, so pro-science. We said that overwhelming science consensus shows that a distinct human organism begins at conception. They're alive, growing, and human, and you and I matter, right? Um, there was a study done. There was a survey that went out to 5,400 biologists. I believe the number about of those 80% were pro-choice, liberal, non-religious biologists. And 96 of those 5,400 biologists responded with human life begins at the moment of conception. So there's overwhelming science consensus. And I'll, I'm gonna, I have a link in the show notes to the link that, uh, about that uh, poll that somebody sent out to this 5,400 biologists. But in addition to this, one thing to keep in mind too is that when you start bringing up science in this realm, a lot of people, what it can turn into is, yes, it shows that, and then other people saying, no, it doesn't. This is exactly what happened to Lila Rose on the Dr. Phil show. She brings this exact poll up and she says, it is scientifically proven and it's a scientific fact that human life begins at the moment of conception. And Dr. Phil, he says, no, it's not. If you look at the if you look at the science, scientific literature, uh, it's unclear. Some people say that it happens um, at viability at 21 weeks. Some people say that it happens at implantation um, after it goes through the fallopian tube because there's it's a process. And he even says this phrase: "It is e- it's up for each individual to decide when they believe life begins." Okay, there's uh, tons of problems with this, but first is that this same individual human organism at the moment of conception is the same one going through the fallopian tube and going to the uterus and implanting. When it doesn't implant, that uh, that's a miscarriage. So this baby died, unfortunately, due to whatever circumstances, th- due to a miscarriage. So that same human organism is is alive and it's a human and it's growing and therefore it's human life at the moment of conception before even the whole process that dr phil wanted to bring up about bringing uh going through the the um fallopian tube and into the uterus and science is not arguing if life begins at at uh viability or when a heartbeat happens because that's actually extremely early Okay, so, and the vast majority of abortions are happening at the time where you know it's a life, even according to Dr. Phil's, uh, you know, whatever it might be, individual belief or what he thinks that um, is when life begins, which would he would probably say is after, it, after implantation. Okay, so the vast majority of abortions then are, you think, should be wrong other than the ones that you can prove that I haven't implanted yet. But even then, science proves that that is the same human human organism that was was brought into life even before it went through the process to attaching um, in the uterus and through the fallopian tube and that whole process that he wanted to bring up. And Lila Rose had an awesome response to Dr. Phil as well because she's saying, okay, if IVF clinics are uh, fertilizing eggs with sperm and then they take that... Uh, they then take this embryo and put it in a woman, then what is that? Is it not a, a human being that's alive and going to grow in the right, right environment, right? So um, IVF even shows that right at the moment of conception, there's a child because then they take that and they put it in a, in a uterus saying, hopefully the, the, this baby latches and hope, or, uh, um, implants in the uterus and grows and it can be your child. <clears throat> but also just listen to the argument. That's an extremely dangerous argument to make, to make that every single person just decides when human life begins. 
because Dr. Phil and who anybody else makes this decision, they don't tell you when definitively that life begins, right? So if that is the case, then what's what's to say to the to the person who is struggling with this one month old at home? Can they now decide that yeah, life really didn't begin yet because maybe they're not fully like fully conscious yet. They don't have any living memory at the moment. So maybe that's when life begins when they're actually like three or four. So I should just be able to kill my children because I decided when life begins. That's just an example to bring up, but it goes far beyond that because you could take that principle to anybody. Maybe it's not a, maybe that's not a human life all the way until they're 18. Maybe that's not a human life until uh, you know they have kids. Maybe that's not a human life until um, and after you know after 65. No, so this is an extremely dangerous and radical <laughs> argument to make, and it doesn't make any sense because it has to be rooted in reality. And science, being that reality, shows that that uh, human beings are um, distinct human organisms come into existence at the moment of conception. And further, and we talked about this, and I'll leave uh, links in the show notes to the uh, to our old abortion uh, topics on abortion because it went into much more detail than we are today. But one of the things to make is, let's say that we really didn't know if it were started at, con- at conception. Okay, the, the develop, development of that human organism becomes distinctly human very, very early on. Okay, because they're usually going to try to argue with something even later on, like past viability, or some people say even outside the womb now. That child's not a human until they're born. Um, but let's just say that we didn't know, which we do know. Science proves that it's at, at uh, the moment of conception. Would you still blow up a building if you weren't positive that there was there was no life inside that building? No, you wouldn't. You'd want to make sure that you preserve whatever is growing. But we know that this is a distinct, this is human li- uh, human life starting at the moment of conception. Why? Because reproduction is naturally it's by it's a sexual. Um, it happens through sex between a man and a woman, and this happens in all sexual creatures, and and uh, that is the offspring. So it's going to be human because we're talking about a, a, a human man and a human woman having sex. And at that moment, reproduction occurs and a distinct human organism is is created, has their own DNA. And guess what? They're growing, which means it's alive. It's alive. It's a living human, human organism. And it's at a, just a different state of development than me and you are. And we are always developing. I will not be how I am right now when I'm 70. I was not as healthy as I am now when I was 24. I was not as developed when I was 14. I was at different stages in my life. My daughter, who is uh, uh, not even a year and a half yet, she's at a different stage of development. And when then, in addition, the last point of pro-science is, okay, yeah, some people will say, well, yeah, it's human, but it's not a person. It doesn't have it doesn't have rights yet. It's, it has no rights because it's not a person. This is an extremely, extremely sketchy and dangerous argument to make because as soon as you start trying to distinguish a per, the uh, humanhood versus personhood and you're saying this human is not a person, this is an exact argument that people made for slavery and Nazism and Jim Crow laws. Because why? They were not human or they were not, or they were not persons, or they were not fully persons, and it's a way to convince oneself to rationalize oppressing others, is saying, yeah, they're not human, or okay, they're human, but they're not persons, they're not like me and you, <laughs> right? 
So this is a very, very dangerous argument to make. And we see this lived throughout history, even current history, when people try to rationalize killing or oppressing others is typically done by dehumanizing them or saying, yeah, they might be humans, but they're not persons. They're not like me and you. It's a very uh, dangerous argument to make. Okay. We said that social justice, social, social justice, so we're pro-social justice, Social social justice begins in the womb. Every living human being is entitled to fundamental rights, and the most fundamental right is life itself. This one is is actually uh, pretty simple, and it covers some of the main some of the main topics that people will bring up. Because what will a lot of people bring up? They'll bring up emotional issues that happen, such as people in poverty they can't afford it, or um, they're not ready for a child, or 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 you know all of those things, right? Well, those are social issues. And being a burden on someone, whether a true burden or a perceived burden, is never justif- justification for killing them. That is a victim in this in that circumstance. So let's so let's actually address the social issue. Some people will say, "Hey, even the foster care system is jacked up." Okay, so is your response then to instead of having instead of fixing the the foster care system, is just to kill children? It doesn't make any sense. How about poverty? You want to address poverty? Okay, why would killing a human being address poverty? You have to be consistent, right? Um, and that's what I talked about in my old pod, in my old podcast. When I used to be tr- pro-choice, I realized that I was either inconsistent or I had to be extreme. Because why? Because you could apply every single thing to the unborn, to a one-year-old, to a two-year-old. Are we going to allow a anybody to kill a one-year-old or two-year-old because their parents are living in poverty? No, we wouldn't. So why would we do that to to any other child, including the unborn? And it just becomes strong against the weak, right? So it does not address a social issue. It's rather killing the victim in all of these circumstances. And so we're pro-social justice. And that social justice extends to to those living human beings. And this principle applies to even the worst of circumstances. Think of the trauma of typically what a lot of people bring up is, well, what about when somebody is raped? Yeah, horrible, 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 horrible. I can't even imagine it. And we have examples of this on on uh, throughout the country right now, this 10-year-old. Yeah, it's disgusting. But the rape is the trauma. The rape is the issue. Or the, the young girl who, uh, you know, they were being silly and they got pregnant. Okay. That is the issue. The rape was the social was the issue, but killing that child there we don't even do the we don't even extend the death penalty to the rapists in our country. But yet we're going to be okay with murdering the child who's an innocent victim and was born into this world in in horrible circumstances. There's people today who were conceived in rape and their mom decided to have them and they're pro-life advocates are going around the country with them and their mom. (laughs) And a lot of the women who, there's stories of women who say they regret their abortion. And a lot of it was in these horrible circumstances where a lot of, a lot of it was emotion as opposed to just reason that, Hey, there's a child in here. (laughs) And this child, regardless of the circumstances, needs to have the fundamental right to life to not be killed. (laughs) Because me and you have that right to not be killed. Every single other, all the other rights flow from the very fact that me and you exist, right? So, um, so yes, so it never addresses the social issue. It only 
kills the victim rather than addressing it. And then number three, that our pro-life, we are pro-life because we are against violence. It's an abortion is an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. In the first trimester, and I'm going to leave a link in the in the show notes for a video from a pro-abortionist describing what the first trimester abortion, second trimester, and third trimester abortions are like. And in the state of Michigan right now, not just third trimester abortions are on the table, but even partial birth abortions, which is one of the most extreme bills ever even proposed. And I've been saying the country, but supposedly it's actually one of the most intense proposals ever proposed in the entire world. And they're trying to put that into our Michigan uh, state constitution. But anyhow, so uh, abortion in the first trimester is typically done by a pill and all, there's a horrible risk to this. And guess what? The mother does this in their in their house typically now. This is what they're trying to, they're trying to push is just even more at-home uh, abortion pills. And it's traumatic. It takes days and a lot of people, a lot of women who've gone through it said that it's, it was actually worse than the birth that they gave to, for their other children. Um, and they hemorrhage. There's a ton of blood. And guess what? Their baby goes in the toilet. It's disgusting. The second trimester abortion, they dismember, they they open the cervix and they put in their tools. And this is all going to be in the, the, the more details in the, the video that I'm going to do. But they take a clamp and they clamp down anything that they can grab and they pull hard. And then there becomes a leg. There comes an arm. There comes the chest. Here comes the heart. Here comes, here comes the torso. And then here comes the head. And they squeeze down hard and the brain fluids fall out. And they have to make sure that they remove everything. So what do they do? They put the, the dismembered baby in a Petri dish and put the baby back together to make sure they got all the parts. And also, those parts are being sold out on the market, <laughs> just to add to the gruesomeness of all this. And then there's third trimester abortions that are very similar to this. Um, and uh, oftentimes at that point, they're, they're uh, very large. Uh, the babies are so large that oftentimes what they do is they basically do an, an induced heart attack or um, and and they're discarded. Um, and this was actually found in Washington, D.C. There was five aborted children, almost all of them full term, almost all of them full term. I think there was one in the second trimester and they're found in an in alley out back. And this was in the summer of 2022. And um one of them, I think one of them had like a marking uh, over their, their neck. Their brains were sucked out, out of their, from the back of their head. Um, other one, they actually had no markings on it at all. So they're wondering if they was just left to die. Um, so it's r the worst and most awful things. And I was asked before, you know, like, well, one, I'm sharing this here because I think it's important, but also people ask like, okay, like why do people got to show the pictures of an abortion out on the streets? It's because a lot of people have no idea what an abortion is. This, we are so desensitized to every single other act of injustice. We know what it, what it, uh, when I was going, when I was in school, I heard the horrible things about what happened to African-Americans in our country, um, like during the Jim Crow laws and all those things. But when I saw the picture in my history book of a lynching of an innocent black man hanging from a tree and his face is right there, it becomes so much more real. <laughs> and you're like, wow. This is messed up. Um, same thing with our, we see, we're desensitized to stuff that we see on TV. We see sex, we see murder, we see lying, we see drugs, we see uh, mass murders even. We've seen everything. What don't we see on TV? What don't we see in the shows? What don't they show? 
abortions. We have no idea what that looks like, right? Um, and it is the most disturbing thing. So people need to know. And a lot of people who don't know and see videos of it change their mind on the spot. <laughs> it's a really powerful method of a lot of what a lot of pro-lifers do when they go out, they take their iPad with them and people who have never seen an abortion, they show that they show this video to them. Here's what it's like in the first trimester, second trimester, third trimester, and they change their mind a lot. So uh, we're against acts of violence. And in addition to that, um, there are always, there's nonviolent solutions to everything. In every cir circumstance or situation, what do we first try to do? We try to find nonviolent solutions. And an abortion is never necessary. <laughs> it does not address uh, the issue that caused the, that caused anything that happened, right? So there's nonviolent uh, solutions. And then in addition to this act of against the violence, because every single abortion is violent, there's no such thing as a safe and there's no such thing as a safe abortion. It's an act of, ex of extreme violence and it's typically super traumatic to the to the woman. It can cause infertility. Can, she can hemorrhage. She, can, she might have to go to the hospital. She's going to be in pain. She could die. There's been deaths. In 1973, when this first all happened, there was more deaths by legal abortion than illegal abortions. Um, so it's extremely dangerous to the woman. And... Um, and not only that, the trauma to the body inherently causes uh, chemical reactions in the body that oftentimes trigger depression and suicidal ideation afterwards. And uh, there's people that I know who know people who've gotten abortions and they say they think about that child. Now, that would have been a, a boy and he would have been a 30-year-old man now. That's And that's what people live with. Um, but anyhow, people typically have... Also, in this support of abortion, typically misuse words. They'll say words like pro-choice, reproductive freedom, and my body, my choice. Each one of those is a misuse and a distortion of words that are not true. So, for example, pro-choice. That sounds like, like if the opposite of that is anti-choice. We're trying to take away a decision that somebody can make. Well, everybody is pro-choice and we're pro-freedom. But when your choice violates someone else's rights, we say that that's wrong. And every sing even uh, people who support abortion will say that about uh, other topics, right? So they say, you have your right to do whatever you want with your body, but as soon as your body violates somebody else, well, then you are inherently taking their freedom away and you can't do that, right? So you can't murder somebody. You can't hurt somebody. You can't steal their property. All those things flow from that principle. And yet, to the unborn, why wouldn't we do the same thing? So it's not about uh, if we're pro-choice or pro... We are pro-choice and we are pro-freedom. But guess what? We've, we, we distinguish and we actually look at the choices that we're making. And when there's a wrong choice to make, then we say that that's wrong and actually should be illegal. And so the abortion choice is wrong because it murders somebody. So we're just being consistent with every single law and every single other principle that we extend throughout our country. The most simple, I'm like, why do we have red and green lights to have order? And it's illegal for you to run through a red light. <laughs> you don't have that choice. It's illegal for you to do it because you're going to harm somebody else. Or I'm free and I can choose to do whatever I want with my body. I can swing my arm around right now. But if I deliberately attack you with my fist, that same motion with what I'm doing with my arm right now in air, if I do that to your face, that's assault. I'm attacking you. And the same thing with abortion. Yes, I'm pro-choice. A woman should do whatever she wants with her body. 
But as soon as someone else's, and oftentimes it's not even the woman's choice. So oftentimes they're lied to. Oftentimes they're forced into it. So I'm not even just calling out women here, obviously. We're pro-women. <laughs> um, but that choice of abortion is wrong. And it's violating somebody else's freedom because you just chose for them that this other person is going to be murdered with no say. They don't have any voice. They're the most innocent and the most vulnerable. And yet we're going to murder them. And even further on this same principle is on this misuse of terms of pro-choice. Pro-choice, that, that'd be like saying I'm pro-thoughts or I'm pro-decisions or I'm pro-action. And the obvious follow-up question to that is, okay, what choice, what thought, what decision, what action? So we're talking about the actual, not just pro-choice. We are pro-choice or pro-thoughts or pro-decisions or pro-action. But what are we talking about? What are the thoughts, decisions, actions? What are we talking about? What's right and wrong? So everyone in the culture right now, like think about just uh, vaccinations, think about, think about masks, like over the past two years, what were people doing? They were either encouraging you or requiring you to do that because yeah, you can do whatever you want with your body. But as soon as you become a threat to somebody else for their health, that could either put them in the hospital or just get them sick in general, like that's wrong. Like even if you have a cold, you should stay home, right? Because you, you could potentially harm somebody else. And same thing with like climate change. <laughs> so people are forcing it down your throats that you need to do this, you need to do that. You need to hop on board and you're kind of part of the issue if you're not. Well, okay, I would say that they're still probably say that they're pro-choice, but they're starting to force their thoughts on me of like, you need to do this um, in order to change, in, in order to change, right? So they're, they're pro a specific thought, decision, action. And it's the same thing here with abortion. Um, it's a misuse of terms because, um, well, what is the decision? What is the action? What is the choice? And it's abortion. Abortion is murdering um, another another life. How about reproductive freedom? That's also a misuse of terms. A lot of people uh, use this. So like even on our ballot in Michigan right now, it's the Reproduction Freedom for All Act. Okay. Once a child is conceived at the moment of conception, reproduction, in a sense, has already happened. It's already taken place. It's passed because reproduction, I looked up the definition of it before, but let me just do it again. Reproduction definition. The production of offspring by a sexual or asexual process. And so reproduction is the biological process by which new individual organisms, offspring, are produced from their parent or parents. This is straight off of, uh, just Google it, and this is right off Wikipedia. Reproduction is a fundamental feature of all known life. Each individual organism exists at the, as the result of reproduction. Okay, so with that definition, you a child who is an individual organism has already been reproducted. <laughs> They've already taken place. A unique human organism is alive and growing, and it's a completely different, has its own DNA and everything, just in a different part of development in their life that than we are, right? So abortion is not about reproduction. Abortion is killing somebody who's already been reproducted. <laughs> Me and you have been reproducted. That child in there has been reproducted. It's wrong to murder me, and it should be wrong to murder that child. Abortion is not about reproduction rights. It is Reproduction has already happened. It's taken place. Now we're going to... Abortion actually violates somebody who has already had that um, reality take place. They're, they exist. They're alive. Or else we wouldn't be talking about abortion. Lila Rose is on Dr. Phil, and she brought up about how uh, Lila Rose is talking about how to murder that child is generational uh, impacts. And she said, we're not even talking about that. The child doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> 
So then what are we even talking about? So why do they need to go in there and terminate this pregnancy? Air quotes. (laughs) Why would they need to have an abortion? What is an abortion? They're murdering that life, whatever you think it is. (laughs) But it's a human life. That's what science tells us. How about the terminology, my body, my choice, which is probably the most, uh, you know, frequent one. Well, so you are and never were your mom's body. So I'm talking to you and I'm talking to me. I'm not my mom's body right now and I never was. And your baby, if you're pregnant, your baby is also not your body. So we are all about your body, your choice, because you can do what you want with your body, your choice. It's kind of the same thing that we talked about earlier. But as soon as your bodily rights violate somebody else's bodily rights, then that's wrong. And how do we know that a mom's body and a baby's body are distinct? Well, separate human organism, separate DNA, and people don't have four legs, four arms, or two hearts. That's a separate living human being. They don't have four eyes. They don't have two mouths. They don't have four ears. And they don't have 20 fingers. They don't have 20 toes. That's a distinct human life. It's a separate human organism. And what's really amazing about the beauty of motherhood is that the one human organism that exists in a human body that is actually not for that person but is for the life of another is the uterus. That's literally why it's going through a process every single month is to prepare to sustain life. So it it sheds to to go back to the process to build back up to sustain life. And that's uh, so that it can be strong for a baby to survive in the in that uterus where they belong. Um, in a documentary called Choosing Death on the Daily Wire, there's a, a girl in there who was a survivor of abortion who didn't know this. So I just kind of gave it away. But she's a you know young adult now and she was adopted and she wanted to meet her biological mom. So she gets to meet her and she said, mom, thank you so much for choosing my life. And her mom starts bawling. And she said, I didn't choose life. You actually had a brother and I didn't know that I had twins. And when I went in for abortion and I did go in for an abortion, they didn't know that you were in there, but you survived. And guess what? She had, she, this girl who was a part of, you know, this, you know, she was the girl in the womb. Her brother was killed. So she, now she has, now she feels like her entire life is missing her brother, right? She never knew him. And and she can never know him in this life anyways. And, but also she had, uh, she had stubbed feet. She had, she has long-term health conditions because it was a violent act to her brother. And she was right there and getting part of it, but she didn't die. She survived. And she is a survivor right now. And in that documentary, what did she say? She said, I am all for my body, my choice, but I, she's standing right there. am not my mom's body. And I wasn't then. I'm a survivor (laughs) of abortion. So these are all a misuse of of terminology. Okay. Uh, And then the fourth point that we we made in our uh, elevator pitch is I am pro-life because I'm against racism. Abortion is the fruit of what began in the 1930s by Margaret Sanger, who is the founder of Planned Parenthood, who, by the way, has now uh, had a record-breaking year last year with revenue and abortions. Now, I think they used to make up 30% of the abortion industry, which out of any organization, they had the largest. Now it's above 40%. Um, But Planned Parenthood first did not provide abortions. They provided sterilizations. And why? And it was against Margaret. It was was from Margaret Singer. And what did she say? It was uh, to get the minorities and the disabled people. She called them the weeds of the earth. So it was to get rid of them, right? Right. 
And guess what? Today, 80% of Planned Parenthood locations are in minority communities today. African Americans are 12% of uh, America's population, but 40% of the abortions. In places like in New York, a baby is more likely to be killed in abortion than to be born. Before 1970, so 1973 is Roe versus Wade. Before that, 78% of African American families were there supporting their wife and children. Okay, so the vast majority of African American families were very strong. Right now, that number is 25%. So it only destroyed the family because this is just what it naturally does. Destroys the family, takes away any responsibility from all of us. Um, for, for any, any father, because I don't need to be there anymore. And if she has that child, I don't need it. But also it's even better. Hey, you should just get an abortion, right? And in 1973, since, I'm sorry, not in 1973, but since 1973, there's been nearly 70 million. So I think there's now it's up to 68 or 69 million children total that are known legal abortions that were murdered in abortion. That are, that's huge numbers. I mean, we're, we're in our country, we're, o- we're over 300 million. I just said almost a third of that was killed in abortions in the last 50 years since 1973. Out of that 70 million, guess how many are African-American? 25 million. We have an entire generation of minorities of African-Americans who have been murdered. This is inherently racist. There was a, uh, a woman that I come across. She uh, is a founder of a company and, um, yeah, she's, uh, she had an article before when Texas came out with the heartbeat bill and she said that, and she, by the way, she fights for minorities of a specific Asian descent. And so she had, that's like her, that's her, like her, uh, I guess her company's goal, so to speak is for those minorities of Asian, of Asian descent. So, heartbeat bill uh, gets passed and in her article she said she said that this was a violation of women's rights and this is going to put people in a weird uh in a bad situation that can't afford children and in there they talked about how the birth rate in this minority community has increased 27 percent since the overturning or since this heartbeat bill has been passed how is that how can you write that and not see that that is racist <laughs> against your own people? Can you believe it? There's more of us. This is what abortion does. <laughs> it's literally murdering, and oftentimes it's murdering the minorities. And uh, and this will be this is very interesting too. In 1933, Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, reprinted an article written "Eugenic Sterilization" by Ernst Rudin. Ernst Rudin was the creator of the Nazi sterilization program. In that exact same year, the Nazi government passed a, a law called the Law for the Prevention of Proj- Progeny with Hereditary Diseases. So its goal was to purge the German society and its ter- territories of undesirables to breed a pure Aryan society. It called for the sterilization of all who suffer from mental illness, physical deformity, feeble-mindedness, learning disabilities, epilepsy, blindness, deafness, and severe alcoholism. According to the science of that day, those were hereditary diseases that needed to be taken care of. After, after this, when the Nazi leadership were, was put on trial in Nuremberg, Nuremberg and after World War II, they tried to justify their sterilization program that sterilized half a million people in less than a decade 
by pointing to the United States as their inspiration. Nazism and Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry and all of this and the underlying principles of it are the same and they influence each other. Nazis pointed to the U.S. Let that sink in. The creator of the Nazi sterilization program, they pointed to the U.S. as their inspiration. And Margaret Sanger was the head was the head of that who started Planned Parenthood. Sterilized the minorities, sterilized the disability, disability people. And guess what? When abortion became, became legal, now let's murder them. Hey, if, if their contraceptives don't work, <laughs> just give an option to murder them. Okay, and then the fifth point that we said was we are pro-life because we are pro-women. We are pro-women. Abortion degrades women, treats their fertility as a defect, and enables men to abuse and abandon them at their most vulnerable. One of the main issues for repeated abuse, rape, and human trafficking. Abortion never empowers women. It only empowers the men who wish to exploit them. So, as I just kind of said there, but oftentimes people who uh, molest, rape, abuse, sex traffic, what do they do? They take them to abortion clinics to have abortions, to keep their business alive, to make sure that they don't get caught. There was an example, I think, of a of of a dad or an uncle abusing this this little girl, either his daughter or his niece or something like that. Took her to get eight abortions. Took her to get eight abortions so that nobody would find out. And uh, we just see this in even R. Kelly. He was abusing women. What did he, one woman said that she had, she, he forced her to have abortions so that he could keep her body tight. He's exploiting her for a natural part of her body. And so it's degrading her as treating their fertility as a defect. And it's enabling men to abuse and abandon them at their most vulnerable. It's um, never empowers the women. It only empowers the men who wish to exploit them. And it's really interesting too. When you look at the, a lot of, uh, so doctors, um, when somebody comes in from sexual abuse or sexual trauma, oftentimes have to report them to, report to the local authorities that, hey, this is going on with this person. And LA, California is one of the worst places in abortion. And I don't even think they, my understanding is that they don't even report on the number of abortions. And they're probably one of the worst. But in LA, where there's a lot of sex trafficking, there's been tons of calls from uh, pregnancy centers and things like that with people who come in from se- uh, sex trafficking and they're pregnant um, and they go to the authorities. You know who's never made a call to the authorities? <laughs> the abortion clinics. The abortion clinics. They never actually made that call. And there's videos of people in horrible situations and the, the, the people at the abortion clinic are just re- reassuring them that they're making the right choice but they're actually not addressing the social issue. They're degrading the woman. Go back to what you were doing. <laughs> um, and it's, you know, people say that keep abortion safe and legal. Abortion is never safe. It's literally murdering a child. And then the woman is at stark risk for not only an immediate uh, risk to uh, damage to her fertility, damage to her organs, damage to whatever it might be, but also the long-term effects of trauma to the to the brain, having infertility, but also they could die. Another link that I'll leave in the show notes is a link to a Pew uh, Research uh, article talking about the data of uh, all of abortion, but towards the bottom there, it talks about deaths and abortion from the 1960s and onward. And in there, 
1972, they said, in 1972, the, this was the last year before Roe versus Wade, which came into effect in 1973. In 1972, there were 35 deaths from illegal abortions. And then it says, in 1973, the next year when Roe was actually in, implemented and put in place in our country, there was it fell from 35 to 19 deaths in illegal abortions. So people obtaining illegal abortions, it went to 19. In that same year, there was 24 women that died from legal abortions. So there, there were people who would, who were saying like thousands of women have died, <laughs> um, thousands of women have died from illegal abortions and things like that. None of them are true. Near, uh, a lot of the people who were saying that, you know, decades ago, they actually even came out and said, "Yeah, those are all fabricated. We made them up." <laughs> there, uh, um, the abortion legal abortion is still extremely extremely dangerous and the disparity between women that have died in illegal abortions versus women that have died in legal abortions are not that different 20 24 verse 39 in one year 1972 in the 1960s the decade before the 1970s the death from induced abortions are higher so uh for example this pew research center says that in 1965 there was 235 deaths and in uh whereas in there was 280 deaths in 1963. So these are high numbers and that is horrible. And it's really sad, but people were saying that it was in the tens of thousands. People are still saying that like people are, women are going to die. Well, abortion is already murdering somebody. It's already trauma to the woman and women, you deserve so much better. <laughs> you deserve so much better. And, um, and out of fear of this, of uh, the dramatic backlash that's happening right now in our country, we can't be afraid to still make these laws illegal um, because it's still wrong and it's still damage to the woman, the child, the family. And um, and so it's not safe. There's no such thing as a safe abortion and even even legal abortions. And guess what? In the United States, in, in Michigan right now, not only are they trying to have the most aggressive pro-abortion pro laws that you can just basically anything goes until that uh yeah anything goes and but also they're removing consent laws from the woman they're removing uh standards and health care from the woman and if you as a woman go in for an abortion and they hurt you or even kill you that doctor can't be prosecuted and guess what that doctor under the definition of the law might have been a dentist <laughs> might have been somebody else in the healthcare professional because they don't define, they don't say doctor, they say healthcare professional, they don't define it. So it could be anybody that could uh, perform this abortion. If, if they hurt you or they even kill you, you have no right to prosecute them. There's no legal protection over you. And those types of things are nothing to do with protecting women. It's all about protecting the doctor who performs abortion. So this is pro-abortion and anti-women. Um, and in addition to the statistics I said in the 1970s and the 1960s, according to this Pew Research, um, Pew Research article, listen to this, it says that um, after 1973, and in 1973, there was 19, de 19 deaths that happened from illegal abortions. It says that, and from there, it went to single digits or to zero every year after that. So it's been very low in illegal abortions now, but um, and then from a perspective of where it's at now, it says that um, in 2018, there, was there were two women that died from legal abortions, according to the CDC. 
and uh, there was two that died in 2017. And then in 2016, there were seven deaths from legal or and uh, seven deaths from legal abortion, and there was one death from illegal abortion. So the, the women still die from abortions, according to the CDC, even in the most recent years. And this is uh, this continued um, devastation to to uh, to women. All right, and then lastly, uh, and then we said we're pro-life because we're pro-family and pro-motherhood. Motherhood is a, when a child comes into this world, there's nothing more precious than the relationship between a mother and child. If you are a mother or if you are a child, you know that. <laughs> there's nothing more precious. And that's why if people have bad relationships with their mom, it's so devastating to their entire life. I never knew my mom or, uh, you know, she did these horrible things, right? It's because everybody inherently knows that there is a profound relationship, profound relationship between the mom and the and the child um, that is like no other. And that is all natural. And instead of that natural thing, taking it for its beauty, actually abortion is deliberately cutting off that relationship and actually making them enemies. And this is all a lie that women are being sold to. <laughs> and because that child, hey, they're exactly where they're supposed to be. Like that, that's my mom. So you're not my enemy. So the baby knows that. And, but the women are being lied to by society and the pro-abortion folks and saying, hey, this is a threat. This is a threat. And, um, and so this baby becomes an enemy and they end up paying somebody else to murder that child. And, um, and then it's, uh, this is objectively wrong. And uh, the last point in our uh, thing to make is that we say, we're pro-life because all of this is wrong and it's cowardly and immoral for me to remain silent. And this is why it's um, this is why it's important. So in our country, before Roe versus Wade, so when it was all legal throughout the U.S., almost 2,400 on average is about 2,400 uh, babies who were murdered every single day in abortion. By just the the overturning of Roe versus Wade, where it pushed it back to the states. So now it's the states that say it. So some have gotten even worse, <laughs> and others have um of uh gotten pro-life laws so there's been states that have passed pro-life uh laws since that there's almost on average 880 babies saved every day from pro-life states some pro-life states it's awesome so it's worthwhile and um and every single child and every single human being you are worth it we should be fighting for the for the for injustices and then lastly, the few points that we'd like to make too on our extra points is that we said that we're pro-life because we're pro-healthcare, we're pro-justice and pro-just laws, and we're pro, uh, and, and, uh, and we're not making a religious argument, and neither was MLK, um, even though our faith um, might inform us to, to reason and reality, um, we're not ashamed of that, just as Martin Luther King Jr., who is a Christian pastor, was not making a merely religious argument. And guess what? A lot of people were using that Bible at the time to advocate for abortion or uh, for uh, slavery and for uh, Jim Crow laws and racism and all those things. Um, but that's contrary to scripture. And this is why it's so important to have the church too. 
And people do the same thing today with abortion, is that they want to use scripture to support abortion. And this is the, the, this is the danger of people just trying to, to, to twist scripture, right? And as St. Peter says, it's twisted onto destruction, though, to twist scripture around to support immorality, to support things that are, are wrong. But this is the danger, right? Is, um, and this is part of the reason why this is not a religious argument. This is based on, this is based on just reason alone, but we shouldn't be ashamed that our faith does inform us on reason and, uh, and all morality, every single moral teaching of the church is, is grounded in just human reason. Every single, every single action has a purpose and intention for it. And when that is directly contrary to that, then it's going to be wrong. Just like me speaking right now is ordered towards the speaking of truth. So if I have spoken lies, you can rightly be mad at me because I misused. I have a disordered speech. Same thing with here. Every single person is alive for the, for them to live freely. And yet abortion is the antithesis of that because it murders them. It takes their life away. Um, but a little bit more on we are pro-life because we are pro-health care. So all doctors sign an oath called the Hippocratic Oath that the first thing that they agree, they agree to in their profession is that they will do no intentional harm. And healthcare, the definition of healthcare is to improve or sustain life. Sometimes I've seen signs that says abortion is healthcare. Well, define abortion, define healthcare. They're two total separate realities that con that contradict one another. But so in abortion, they endanger the health and traumatize the life of the mother and deliberately kill a child. So abortion is the antithesis of healthcare. And every single doctor says that they will do no harm. Well, abortion literally is not just harming an organ or anything anything like that, right? Because healthcare should be ordered towards improving the natural functioning of the body, including your reproductive organs. That's why birth control and contraceptives are are bad too, because they suppress a system as opposed to enhance it, enhance the natural functioning of it. And so life has that natural ends, and killing it is is just inherently is just not, is the opposite of healthcare. And so, um, uh, abortion is never necessary. Abortion is never necessary. Typically, um, you'll hear people uh, who want to keep abortion legal, they typically bring up the most emotional and traumatic cases, which is understandable. They bring up typically rape or the, the it's threatening the life of the mother. Okay, so we talked about rape earlier, but, and we know, you know, like murdering that child who is an innocent victim doesn't address the social issue. In this case, it'd be rape. Um, it doesn't undo that actual trauma. And we can't further that trauma by murdering an innocent child. Um, it's not addressing the social issue, right? But also, we have to contextualize this. So when people try to say that to support abortion, is we have to first step back and say, okay, let's just step back really quick and know that those two extreme cases of rape and threat the the life threatening uh, the threatening of the life of the mother that's less than one and a half or one percent than all other abort than all of abortions so in the context of abortion the vast majority are because it was a boyfriend a husband a family member telling the mother and convincing her that either she's not strong enough they don't have enough money they're going to be in these bad situations or they can't do this right now and they just need to do this which are all lies they're just being fed lies that they're powerless and they have to choose to end the life of another child but so rape and these uh, and th the threatening li the life of the mother are less than 1% of all abortions. So first we have to contextualize it, that these are very small for one. 
but also it doesn't address the issue, right? We already talked about rape, but in the case of the threatening the life of the mother, typically the life of the mother actually is, and these are like real cases, is actually at risk when there is an, an, an optoptic pregnancy, meaning that a child did not make it through to the uterus, but they got stuck in the fallopian tube. So that, um, they're now in the fallopian tube. So now if they grow in there, that fallopian tube could burst and it would uh, kill the, the mother and the child. And then uh, additionally, if there's a pregnant woman who has, who has cancer, particularly, let's just say the worst one would be, in this case, to be pregnant in, would be uh, like uterine cancer. So cancer in the uterus. Um, <clears throat> so both of those, uh, to again, abortion is deliberately killing the child, right? So in both of those instances, there are methods to use that will not directly kill the child, but still protecting the life of the mother. So with an autoptic pregnancy, this is not the like when the, these pro-life laws are not going to repeal the procedures to address an autoptic pregnancy because there are procedures that do not directly kill that child that can still save the life of the mother. So what they would do is they would remove uh, either the fallopian tube or a part of the fallopian tube where the child is. And then so it's still a functioning uh, fallopian tube that can sustain life in the future. And they remove it and with the child and they will put it in an area, in a place where it'll naturally, uh, um, it'll naturally be uh, like in a place of, I guess, comfort, you'd say, um, or a place that at least has some possibility. So it's not directly killing them. But unfortunately, right now, all the science that we have, that child is going to die. But it was never for the intention for the child to die. And we saved the life of the mother. But again, the intention was never to kill the child. It was doing a procedure that would save the life of the mother and would hopefully help um, and would someday hopefully sustain that life of the child. And then, um, and same thing with, uh, with, with cancer, you can still address the cancer. You can have all these chemotherapies and sometimes that does end up in the death of the child, but that's not your intention. And you're not directly going to that child and, and killing that child. You're treating an ailment or a disease or whatever it might be. So these are un, uh, unfortunate circumstances that can be addressed, right? Some people think that like de delivering a baby is going to threaten the life of the mother. And if that is the case, which I supposedly it is the case, what do they do? They do a C-section, just like all the times when there's a risk of, of delivery, whether it's uh, harm to the child or harm to the mother, they can do a C-section. Murdering the child will not address it because a lot of times in the third trimester, that far along, what they do with a child with an, an abortion, they'll in, have an induced heart attack on the child and the mom still has to deliver their dead baby. So delivering is not a threat to the life of the mother. Um, and there's ways around that. And so each of these cases, abortion is never necessary. And a good analogy for, to, for people to understand when the life of the mother is actually at risk, such as an ectopic pregnancy or cancer or whatever it might be, is this. There's two people drowning in a lake and you are not going to have time to save both of them. So you have to choose one over the other. You might go and go save one over the other and bring one to, to, to shore and the other one unfortunately dies, but that wasn't your intention. You had to choose one. You, 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 got, you got one and saved one. What abortion is, is that you actually drown one in order to save the other. Abortion is deliberately killing one of them. Instead of, instead of them 
unfortunately drowning, you drown them <laughs> to go save the other one. So again, abortion is never, ever, ever necessary, even in these most extreme, unfortunate circumstances. Um, and then we'll just end off with this story about Bernard Nathanson and Dorothy Day. Bernard Nathanson, he was the founder of NARAL, which is the National Association for the Repeal of Abortion Laws, in 1969. That's when he founded NARAL. And NARAL that he founded is now known as the National Abortion Rights Action League. So this is a profoundly pro-abortion uh, institution. He was also the director for the Center for Reproductive and Sexual Health in New York City. That center was the largest abortion facility in the world at the time. At that time, Bernard Nathanson was known as the abortion king. He oversaw 75,000 abortions in the 1970s. He personally performed 5,000 abortions, including one on his girlfriend. And in 1973, after watching an abortion using ultrasound imaging technology for the first time, which supposedly his uh, friend, who was also an abortionist, showed him. And this video was uh, referred to as the silent scream. It's a videotape of, and, and and I'll leave two links in there. One is a short video, one is a like 20 minute video that's longer. And it's Bernard Nathanson describing what an abortion is. And then this ultrasound and then the uh, after effects and what a baby looks like after an abortion. He was dramatically changed and then he became a defender of life beginning at conception and not only that he also became catholic in 1996 so he had a radical conversion because of the reality of abortion even though he oversaw 75,000 abortions in a decade performed 5,000 abortions including one on his girlfriend killed his own child and yet he had a dramatic um, conversion and another person to look to as an example that people can change and that we can continue pursuing, that anybody can have a conversion and become radically pro-life is Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day lived in the 1920s. Uh, well, she lived before that, but in 1927, she was baptized and became Catholic and uh, she served the poor, the marginalized, the discarded, and she became radically pro-life. But before that, she was, a com she was an atheist, communist, an anarchist, an alcoholic. She had multiple affairs, and she had an abortion. And she tried several times to kill, her, to, to, to kill herself. And so she, even through all this, and who had an abortion and, and, uh, in 1919, at the pressure of her lover, is now going to be, uh, she has a cause open for her canonization so that she lives as an example of God's mercy, his grace, and the power of God's grace, mercy, and love that can transform any heart. And I like to say this even about myself is that it took supernatural grace for me to become natural <laughs> because I used to be pro-choice and I used to think contraceptives were fine and it'd be weird if you weren't on contraceptives, but seeing uh, it, all of it is based on the natural uh, order and the natural law and our human bodies and science and philosophy and uh, all those things. So it took supernatural grace for me to become natural. And these stories continue today. There are people who were abortionists who are now becoming pro-life. And, and so every single person, we have, to, we have to pray for every single person in that industry that's wrapped up in the end of that lie of the industry um, because anything is possible. We literally just had a story of Bernard Nathanson, who became pro-life after overseeing 75,000 abortions, including performing one on his own girlfriend and murdering his own child. 
and he became a staunch advocate for the pro-life uh, cause. So anyhow, so I hope this was extremely helpful for you. I know it's still long, and uh, but I wanted to give the details behind each one. But anyhow, the elevator pitch is that we are pro-life because we are pro-science, overwhelming science consensus that a distinct human organism begins at the moment of conception. We are pro-life because we're pro-social justice, and social, social justice begins to end the womb because every living human being is entitled to fundamental rights, and the most fundamental right is life itself. Being a burden on someone is never justification for killing them. It becomes strong against the weak and kills the victim rather than addressing the social issue. I'm pro-life because I'm pro-anti-violence. Um, Abortion is an act of extreme violence against the most vulnerable. I'm pro-life because I'm anti-racism. It, be, uh, it began... Planned Parenthood began in the 1930s with eugenics to exterminate minorities and disabilities, and the natural fruit of that when abortion became legal was abortion against the minorities, and it impacts the minorities in, a, and in the most dramatic way. I'm pro-life because I'm pro-woman. Abortion degrades women, treats their fertility as a defect, and enables men to abuse and abandon them at their most vulnerable, and only empowers men who wish to exploit them. I'm pro-life because I'm pro-family and pro-motherhood. And abortion makes a mom and a child enemies instead of a natural, loving relationship. I'm pro-life because I'm pro-health care. Hippocratic oath to do no harm. And so I want health care to be true health care. And I'm pro-life because I'm pro-justice pro and just laws. And all laws are in, in place to protect and enhance lives and to live in freedom. And I'm pro-life because it's cowardly and immoral for me to remain silent on this most important issue. And why aren't you pro-life? <laughs>